What's up, everybody? Welcome back into another edition of Bar Top Sports Talk. You're tuning in with your favorite host, Tino Bernal, and the best co-host, Ryan, the Rhino, Murray, Big Murray in the house, ladies and gentlemen. What's up? You all are turning in for episode 41. You hope you guys are having a great week. I know me and Ryan are. Rush off the Super Bowl 57 victory. For the Kansas City Chiefs, how about it, Ryan? How about it? Big doves. And to start this episode off, we actually had some celebratory drinks. So I myself has a Modelo that I'm going to crack open. Ryan? What's up? I have a Truly. I'm trying to watch my calories. So. It's okay, man. It's okay. We'll get the snap on there. Oh, yeah. That's a victory snap. Glorious. Glorious. Sounded nice. I'm sure all of you listening probably have had your fair share of victory drinks as well. We're all celebrating. It's a big deal in Kansas City. Big time. It's a great time to be a Chiefs fan. Great time to be a Kansas Cityan. But we also have some other things in the sports world we want to discuss. So to kind of highlight some of the things we're going to be getting into this episode, episode 41 of our top sports talk, we have your college hoops, of course, to start the show. We'll begin with that in a few minutes. But NBA. So we had the Super Bowl last week. Now we move on to the next big event in the sports calendar. We have NBA All-Star Weekend, always an exciting time with the skills challenge on the Saturday, all the different, the three-point shootouts, the new uh, team, the new team, I guess, competition that they implemented last year. I mean, Hector kind of highlighted last in last year's episode around around this time of year. And then, of course, the slam dunk contest. We'll, we'll share our thoughts on the contestants this year. Yeah, yeah not a not a great group. but. We'll see. We could be wrong. But we'll have that for you guys as well with the NBA segment to go along with the Week 18 Power Rankings. We'll give our thoughts on kind of that and how the playoff picture is shaping up heading into the All-Star break. And to go along with the Super Bowl talk, we'll also be giving our thoughts on some of our favorite commercials that aired. Ryan, were you, able to, you were able to catch some, weren't you? Yeah. Okay, so we'll have our favorite, some of our favorites, some that caught our eyes a little bit. and. It's been pretty controversial. No, not the penalty at the end of the Chiefs game. Rihanna's Super Bowl halftime show. Not necessarily controversial on the side she did something, you know, outlandish. But everyone's, every Super Bowl halftime show is always going to have a start a conversation for people's takes. Whether they liked it, whether they didn't like it. Me and Ryan, I think we, we'll see. Ryan, you, you said something earlier this week. I think that you would have upset a, quite a few Rihanna fans. I was not a fan. Well, we'll, we'll save it. We'll save it. It'll be a little bit later in the show during our NFL segment. And, but like I mentioned, to start the show, we're going to talk about some college hoops. So now that NFL season is over, kind of sad about that. But the next big thing, as we mentioned, the All-Star game with the NBA. But really, next big sporting event coming up besides the NBA. NBA All-Star Weekend, March Madness. March Madness is right around the corner. We're at the point where you better be on your A game. I'm ready. For college hoops, you know. Each team, you're slipping up this time of year. It's not good, especially when you're heading into March. So to look at the AP poll for week 16 of the, of the college basketball season, looks like this. No Purdue. At the top of the rankings. Yeah, they lost the week before. 
Me and Ryan talked about it. They shouldn't have been ranked number one. Somehow they still were. Granted, it was a loss to, I believe, Indiana at that point. Correct. So they, they dropped this time. They dropped two spots. Number one, Alabama, the Alabama Crimson Tide. They had a thrilling victory against Auburn in Auburn. I can't remember. Yeah, it's Auburn, Miss Auburn, Alabama. Something like that. Oh, you, Purdue lost to Northwestern. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. That was over the week. Or no, that was this week, correct? Mm-hmm. Monday. So we have Houston number two, and then as we mentioned, Purdue number three now. You number four, UCLA. I don't know how to feel about them. I know West Coast teams, they're kind of weird because you don't really get to see them that often. Mm-hmm. But the Pac-12 really is not that strong of a conference. Yeah, I feel like they normally underachieve. I, I mean, guess you could say that about the Big 12, too, sometimes. But not in basketball, I wouldn't say. Just like the last two years, three years. I mean, the last two years, the Big 12 is the national championship. Yeah, I just know my bracket gets busted almost every year because of what? the Big 12. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'll agree with you there. But no, I mean, the Pac-12, think, think of it, you only have UCLA, Oregon. Oregon's not even really that great this year. And then USC, and USC's really not that great this year. It's basically a three-team race. Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't really paid too close attention. Maybe I'm being a casual to it, but that's just what I've seen. Number five, our Kansas Jayhawks move up after being number nine last week. Finally put some respect on us. We're starting to gain some traction heading into the later stages of February. Number six, Texas falls behind us, but that should change. They lost as well, I believe. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they lost. Number seven, Virginia. They just had a big win against Duke, I believe. And then Arizona. Another, oh, I forgot about them. They're the second top. Pac-12 team. Again, I don't know really how to feel about them. I know last year they had Benedict Matherin, and they won on, not even really on a run. They made the round of 32. But he was exciting to watch. Number nine, Baylor, and then number 10, Tennessee, to round off the latest AP top 10. I believe Tennessee lost as well, though. Yeah. So next week, there's going to be some shakeup. Yeah, Tennessee lost to Missouri. And that all happened just this week, I believe. We can go back and check Monday. We had Texas lose to Texas Tech. And then Tuesday, we had, and then excluding the top 10, we had Kansas State lose. That was always fun to watch. NC State lost. And then Creighton lost. So you had some ranked teams already falling this week. Yeah, Arizona got beat by Stanford. Oh, so that was this past weekend on Saturday? Mm-hmm. There's some top teams that are kind of opening the door and not necessarily in. I'm not just talking about, you know, the AP poll. I'm talking about the Big 12. Mm -hmm. They're leaving a door wide open for us. Some people might be upset, but they keep giving us a chance. But we'll get that in a second. Ryan, you saw something and some of you listening may have saw this as well. It was a pretty serious issue going on in the college basketball world. Some of it, some people may have not heard of it. And if you're like me, you kind of seen it because you get maybe these like sports alerts from ESPN or Bleacher Report. And you probably looked at it and you kind of glanced over it a little bit. But then there was another thing that happened. And we're referring to the situation with New Mexico State. Very, very serious situation that landed a lot of people in some hot water. 
Ryan, you want to kind of educate the listeners on this? Yeah. So there was a player from the New Mexico State team that went to campus police and filed a report. And it was pretty crazy. Three players were cited for false imprisonment, harassment, and criminal sexual contact. And all the names have been redacted, so we don't know exactly who's involved yet. But And that was after the shooting that yeah, they had. After the shooting in November. And they fired their head coach since then too. And these were all members of the men's basketball team. Yeah. So now the fallout Coming from this, the university has suspended the rest of the season yep, for them. It. Now, going forward, I don't know if they, you know, I, I would assume that they continue their men's basketball program. But for this season, that's, that's serious to have your administration, or not, I guess the administrators cancel the rest of the season. That's really severe. You, you're doing something like major mm-hmm. this is like i mentioned this is very serious this sexual misconduct or not sexual misconduct sex it's basically sexual assault yeah the chancellor is still referring to it as hazing but it was pretty rough to read the police report about it he was held down by three teammates and was spanked and they touched his scrotum and they're still just calling it hazing yeah, it's not hazing. No, that's sexual assault. Definitely, definitely not hazing. That's taking things to, you know, an uncomfortable level. And we won't go into any further details than that. If you all are interested, you can do, you know, your own research on that situation. But it's just, it's a negative light on college basketball, especially at a time, you know, when people are starting to really get excited for conference tournaments and, you know, March Madness. But it's definitely something that needs to, be looked at and talked about because I think this happens at other universities and it may not get reported. This one happened to make headline news. And sometimes, as I mentioned, sometimes things like that can get looked over. You may see it and you may initially be upset about it, but then you kind of like brush it off. But there there's been, this happened, this has happened all too often in college campuses, especially within the athletic departments. And there's probably people that haven't spoken up to the victims. So it's a very serious situation. You definitely want to be, you know, sympathetic towards those people that were affected. You know, hopefully it doesn't affect them, you know, from a mental standpoint, because stuff like that can. Yeah. It's terrible. Because it reminds me, I mean, think of any, what I hate to refer to it, but, you know, I think. Something almost similar like that happened in what Thirteen Reasons Why? Yeah, I may be I may be off of my references. Yeah, there was a weird scene too. So, you know, you definitely want to take that very serious and don't. It's not just hazing. Hazing is downplaying it. Yeah. So we kind of wanted to shed light on that. Make makes people aware. Definitely, you want to be considerate of it, and you know, thoughts go out to the victim as well and his family. Hopefully, he can get through this. And I hate to switch gears, you know, after something like that, because like, how do you just like move on? But there, there are other things to get to in the sports world as well. And we, I'm kind of like left speechless. Yeah, it's kind of it's, it's a sensitive topic, 
Yeah, I was shocked. So we'll see if there's more news that comes out of it. I'm sure there will be, you know, within the coming weeks. And we, we'll, probably rec- we'll probably keep you all updated on that as well. But for now, that, that's the news. And we'll move on to the next part of the college basketball segment, which is now the KU and Big 12 segment, or part of the segment as well. So we mentioned Kansas Jayhawks. The rest of the teams in the Big 12 left the door wide open for us. And I believe the same thing happened, what was it, last year? Yeah. So it looked like we may not get the conference, the regular season championship, but some teams give us some help. You lose a few games. If you're Texas or if you're Kansas State, TCU, I believe Baylor might have won, but mm. stuff like that, you, you leave the door open for us. And you don't want to do that with a Bill Self coach team you never want to do that especially just given it's kansas you know you don't want to take kansas lightly ever to think that we're underdogs you know good luck to you so a look at kansas their past week or so we had a big win over oklahoma after the big win against texas last monday we mentioned that this next two-game stretch upcoming in the last episode, which was Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, me and you kind of both agreed that they were kind of semi-favorable matchups. They weren't going to be easy, but, you know, those those are games you feel like you should win and you need to win, you know, if you want to get that Big 12 regular season championship. So they were able to take down Oklahoma 78-55 to in Norman, which is really odd because Oklahoma – you know, they'll get blown out one week, but then they'll take down a top team another week. Yeah, they're really inconsistent. And that could be, you know, that's the difference of their their season. They're 12 and 13 right now, or 13 and 13, mm-hmm. after their win against Kansas State. You know, they, did they beat Kansas State? Yeah. And, you know, they're beating teams like Alabama. So you, def- you definitely didn't want to take them lightly. I thought it was going to be, you know, kind of how the last game went when they were here in Lawrence. It was a two-point ball game. But to see us beat them by 23, I was pretty surprised and very impressed and encouraged by our performance. Ernest Uday, I don't think there's – you can't talk enough about it. You know, he, he's continuing to catch fire as his freshman season continues on. And then if you take a look at this week, Yesterday against Oklahoma State, we went 87 to 76 in Stillwater. That's another game. You you felt like, as I mentioned, you should feel like you should win that, but it's not a given. Yeah, in the past, Bills struggled at Oklahoma State. They were on a five game win streak. It was just, they were the hottest team in the Big 12 at the time. In this game, Jalen Wilson again wasn't necessarily the main scorer. I can't remember who was the main scorer against Oklahoma, but the main scorer in this one, Grady Dick. Grady Dick steps up and scores 26. We have Kevin McCuller have another nice game. He's starting to rebound after, you know, I was kind of I was kind of on to him a couple weeks ago in episode 39, I believe. I was kind of, I was kind of hating on him in a way. He was he was definitely struggling. I think he's starting to figure things out. Jalen Wilson, he, he was solid. He had a good performance. I think in Oklahoma, now that I remember, I believe he had 18 points. So he may or may not have been the leading scorer, but Grady Dick, big game for him. 
there's times where he's not aggressive enough in that game. I believe I just saw that he went 10 of 17. So to put up 17 shots, that's really good because Jalen Wilson usually has that much attempts. Yeah. And some of them were late in the shot clock, too. He had to force them up. It was just bad possessions. So I think he played more efficiently than what his stats say. That's good to hear. I, didn't, I was, wasn't able really to catch that. It was Valentine's Day. I'm sure, as you all knew, I wasn't able. So I was, you know, with my fiance, of course, I wasn't able to watch that game. The parts that I did see, it, it's kind of funny. Do you think, and I'm sure it, it applies to all sports, you know, whenever you're a former player going up against your old team, you have those juices going. You know, you want to go out there and you want to just, you know, kill them. Not literally, but you want to basically just make them regret, you know, sleeping on you, make you make them regret not treating you right or this and that. I don't know what the situation was with Bryce Thompson, but that man seems like he has it out for us. Yeah, it was just one of those, you know, Bill's going to play his upperclassman. He didn't get enough playing time. It didn't end on bad blood. He just transferred like a lot of players do, but he hoops against stuff. I mean, he was cooking us in the first half. They were switching on him. I mean, he was hitting everything. And that was the story of the first game. I believe he hit close to 10 three-pointers. Oh, he was. I think he had seven three-pointers in the first game against us in Lawrence. He was nine for nine at one point in the first half. Not from three, but from the floor. You know, that, like I mentioned, that dude, he, he looks to stick it to Kansas, it seems like, any chance he gets. I mean, it's, it's cool. You know, it's good for him. He's doing really well at Oklahoma State. They're not quite on the same caliber as Kansas, as you can see, but, it, you know, good game for him. I'm, I wish we kind of had him, honestly. I think he would fit what we have going on right now as uh, probably second or third shot maker on this team. Yeah. It would be between him and Grady Dick for the number two spot because I think he would, you know, it be. Would stretch the floor like crazy. Yeah. I mean, it'd be a matchup nightmare for any team kind of makes me miss him yeah not gonna lie but now looking ahead we have a big one against baylor we fell to them in waco a few weeks ago it's time to get payback college game day is going to be there it is the five versus nine matchup so a lot riding on it not only for ranking positioning seating positioning but also for the Big 12, because right now, you take a look at the standings. We got a three-way tie. Baylor, Texas, and KU are all three, nine, and four. But the crazy thing is, they all play each other at least one more time. I told you, man, I've, been, I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. It's going to come down to the last week. Even Iowa State's still in it. Iowa State's a game and a half behind. K-State, I think they play their way out of it. I know all of Manhattan. What what is it? Emaw country, <laughs> Meemaw, something like that. I think that after they beat KU, they were ready to, uh, you know, announce themselves as Big Twelve regular season champions. And they've lost four out of five. And I, I mean, we can't say much. We did go on a stretch as that like that as well during the season a few weeks back. But as I mentioned, we're we're starting to get back back on track. That's where college basketball is, though. Tune in next week for another Big 12 slash KU update, as well as in the Week 17 AP Top AP Top 10 poll. I think 
next week we may even have we may give you guys an early look at the seeding as far as like the regional wise as for who the top four seeds are projected to be because they have been putting those out andy katz and who's the other guy joe lenardi those those two gentlemen have been putting out their projections for a couple of weeks now and there've been some interesting ones. So next week we'll probably give our takes on that because we as I mentioned we're creeping creeping up to March Madness. Selection Sundays four Sundays away. So it's starting to get exciting. Yep. And we'll have another special announcement here in a couple of weeks. Once it gets closer to March and once it gets closer to conference championship week, we'll have another special announcement. Stay tuned for that though. Got to tune in. But now we're transitioning to the hard to the NBA. So we're staying hardwood, going to pros now. Start off the NBA 7 with the Week 18 Power Rankings. Burr, burr, burr. Sorry, I'm getting a little too excited. It's all good. So to start off the Power Rankings, we have the Boston Celtics, number one, once again. My Boston Celtics. You know what's interesting? They played a really good game against the Milwaukee Bucks last night. It was a good game. With multiple starters out it's funny whenever they have multiple starters out it trends on twitter with hashtag hospital celtics <laughs> it's pretty funny so celtics number one number two denver nothing changing with the top two teams number three i believe it was memphis might have been this week milwaukee number four philly philly still staying within that top five Cleveland moves up to number five this week. Then you have Memphis. Memphis. So it says they moved up. I thought they were within the top five, but it says they moved up there in number six. Number seven, you have the Miami Heat. Number nine, the Sacramento Kings. Or number eight, Sacramento Kings. And number nine, Dallas Mavericks. New duo. They won a couple games. They've looked all right. We'll see how they finish, though. Number 10, the Brooklyn Nets. Everyone thought the Nets were dead after the Kyrie trade. Looking like they may still be playoff team, potentially. We can go ahead and take a look at the NBA Power Rankings to see if the NBA, or the, NBA, the standings, to see if the NBA Power Rankings got it right. For the most part, I would agree. I think that you could possibly put Phoenix now in the top 10. Wouldn't you agree? With a healthy KD, and they signed Terrence Ross today, too. I mean, not like crazy, but coming off the bench, like he can still score. That's a sneaky move. As a veteran, too. Because he's a three-point shooter. Yeah. I think you could possibly throw them in the top ten. I think if you take a look at even New York, the Knicks, Knicks could potentially be a top ten team. The Clippers could potentially be a top ten team. They both have better records than the Mavericks, and the Mavericks are in the top 10. Do you think the NBA got it right with their power rankings this week? Is there anything you would change? I think they probably got it right. I've been dead wrong about the Cavs the entire season. I don't know how they're still winning, but for whatever reason, they're hooping. I mean, I don't think they're going to, I don't think there's any way they beat the Celtics or the Bucks, but I guess you never know. They made a move and got somebody too, which we'll talk about in the winners and losers of the 
trade deadline. I can't remember who it was, but I'll have to take a double look. For the most part, I would agree that they they got it right. I still think you could possibly make the case for moving Phoenix or the Knicks or the Clippers into the top 10 because it's really close with that bottom part. You know, you have Sacramento, Miami, and then those teams that I mentioned, they're all at 32 wins. So it's a very close race. And to kind of look at the playoff standings real quick before we take a look around the association. We have the Eastern Conference pretty much stay the same. The play-in tournament, you have the Knicks at the seventh seed. You have the Atlanta Hawks at number eight. And you have the Toronto Raptors at number nine. And the Washington Wizards at number 10 now. Washington Wizards, I believe they, they, I don't know if they were there last week. You have them over the Chicago Bulls and the Indiana Pacers. Be interesting to see how that holds up, though. Playing tournament for the Western Conference, you have the New Orleans Pelicans at number seven, the Minnesota Timberwolves at number eight, and the, Dallas, or the Golden State Warriors number nine, Utah Jazz at number 10. The Timberwolves, they're going to be an interesting team now that they don't have D'Lo. I don't like that Gobert-Cat duo. It's a weird it's a weird combination. Too much in the paint. Too much crowding. Not enough spacing on the floor. Especially now with D'Lo out of the lineup, which we'll mention him in the trade deadline or the trade deadline update as well. I kinda like the Utah Jazz. They're a sneaky team. Yeah, they are. Some of the pieces they have, like Jordan Clarkson, Colin Sexton, really uh Alvin Market Markinen. I still don't know if I pronounced his name right or not. And then Joe Ingles coming back. Oh, he did? Yeah, he's been playing a little bit. I did not see that. Trying to get him into game shape and get him ready. The guy, I mean, I don't think he's ever looked in shape. He's sneaky. He is sneaky. He's a three-point shooter. And honestly, he plays decent defense. And there's a good chance he's gone off against your favorite player. What was it? He locked up. He locked up. Paul George. Paul George, yeah. He locked up Paul George in the playoffs before. Mm-hmm. You definitely would not have expected that. No, not at all. It was so sad. I'm still not over it. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people are. That was OKC, Paul George, correct? Yeah. That's, that's too funny. Now, the players of the week, or players of the month. This is kind of surprising. Derek White. East, is surprising. Eastern Conference Player of the Week, Derek White, the Boston Celtics. Jalen Brown had the facial fracture, so Derek White's been in the starting lineup. He stepped up. I believe Jason Tatum might have missed a game or two within that time. Been a few. Marcus Smart's been out as well. Yeah, I believe he's supposed to come back tonight. Last I saw, no Celt- minutes restriction or anything. That's good. But that'll help you guys a lot. Celtics were 4-0 and during that stretch last week. Derek White averaged 24.5 points, 4.8 rebounds, 7.5 assists. Derek White. Who would have thought that in a four-game sample size? You know, it's a, that's interesting. He's our backup point guard. And 
he's he's typically known for his defense, not scoring. So to see him score 24 points or average 24 points over a four-game stretch, that's really encouraging if you're a Celtics fan like me because it, it's just another option. And I was actually watching them this past weekend. I can't remember who they were playing. They were playing on Sunday. They have the Super Bowl. I believe they played the they played Philly, I want to say. Or actually, no. I can't remember who exactly it was. I didn't watch the NBA that day. I was too stressed. Oh, it was Memphis. They played Memphis. And I was watching some of the new the guys that they have and some of the new players that they've acquired. They hit like 20-plus three-pointers. Derek White was the main catalyst. It was, I love the way they play. I think I feel really good about them this year. <laughs> Chad Gilders, Alexander. The Western Conference Player of the Week for Week 17, he averaged 31 points per game, 6.3 assists, I believe, and shot 57% from the field, which is kind of funny because did you see the shot chart that he had for one game where I think he scored like over 40 points? Yeah. It was all like right at the basket. Missed like one shot, I think. Yeah. Shot something like that. I mean, smart, high percentage shots. Can't really knock him on it. I thought it was just funny. And then before we take a look at the trade deadline update, the total points, we haven't really talked too much about this, kind of the statistic leaders through 17 weeks of the NBA season. Jason Tatum, I believe, leads the league in total points, not necessarily scoring. Joel Embiid, oddly enough, leads the NBA in scoring, I believe, with 33 points per game. Yeah. Who would have ever guessed that in today's, in like the way the NBA is played now, a center leading the league in scoring. He's so talented. He so, can score from anywhere. Yeah, he's a three-level scorer for sure. Total rebounds, Sabonis leads the league with that. Not necessarily rebounding average. I'm trying to find the actual average. I don't think it's popping up. It's just showing the totals. Okay, we'll go with that. Total blocks, Nick, Nick Claxton. Nick Claxton is actually in the running for Defensive Player of the Year as well, too, that I saw. It was him, Jaron Jackson Jr. He should be out. Yeah. If you listen to our previous episodes, you know why. And total steals, Anthony Edwards leads the NBA in total steals. Total three-pointers made, but he healed. He's quietly having a good season Yeah. from the three-point arc. He's been hooping. And then most three-pointers in a game, Clay Thompson, not really surprising. Nothing's really changed on that end for other stuff. Total assists, Trey Young leads the league in total assists. I don't know if he actually leads the league in assists average, but I thought that was a little interesting tidbit to add along with the look around the association. We haven't really talked too much about like who's the league leaders in those categories. I thought yeah. that was kind of fun to get into that. Yeah, I thought one thing that I found that was crazy, Damian Lillard, since January 15th, is averaging 38 points per game. Hasn't been talked about enough. I actually did see something about that today. He had a 60-point game in that stretch. Mm -hmm. He has, like I think, 740 points over the last 20 games. That might not be the exact number, but I didn't realize he was doing that well. And it's unfortunate that the Trailblazers... I can look up 
their record over the last 10 games, and it's probably not ideal. 5-5. Five and five. So, I mean, they're at 500. They're right on the cusp of making it into the playing tournament. That's just unfortunate that, you know, that, that dude is just uber talented and nothing to show for. Loyal to a fault. Yeah, you've mentioned that before. Now, to kind of highlight the trade deadline, we're obviously not going to get into all the trades that were made during that, that point. And I, I do have to apologize from last week. If you all listened to last week's episode, I, I severely downplayed the NBA trade deadline because it was that when, the Wednesday that we recorded the episode, episode 40. You know, we we're talking... Kyrie Irving was obviously the big news at that point. There was not really any other moves made. And I said it was a disappointing tread deadline. And you told me to kind of pump the brakes on it because there could be moves made that night. Well, you would be correct, Ryan, because um, later on that night, I believe it was in the early morning, news broke that Kevin Durant was getting traded to the Phoenix Sun. Every time we end the episode, something crazy happens. It's happened, yeah, the last two or three. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. That, that was a blockbuster trade. Mikel Bridges and Cam Johnson get dealt to the Brooklyn Nets with a long, what was it, two first-round draft picks? Might have been even three. Can't remember. I had it in my notes. I can't, yeah, I can't remember the exact trade details of it, but it was something, something close to that compensation for Brooklyn. Or, yeah, for Brooklyn, since Phoenix was given, given all, or Phoenix was getting Kevin Durant. It, it was an interesting one. I think that was obviously the biggest trade made next to Kyrie, and it might even be bigger. So, just two superstars in the game right now. Traded from Brooklyn. Brooklyn's essentially blowing up the roster. But as I mentioned, there's still, there were a top 10 team in the NBA power rankings this week or from this past week of play. See where they are next week. But they do have a good core of players. Yeah, they're solid. They're solid enough to possibly make the playoffs, but to win a championship, obviously it's not going to happen. But they do have draft picks now. They definitely have enough to make some moves in the offseason. Yeah, with if they base. can attract anybody after the debacle that went down. <laughs> yeah. It was a disaster. Now, you mentioned Gary Payton. before We've talked about it before the show. Gary Payton gets dealt to the Warriors. Some might not see that as a blockbuster trade, and obviously it's not. Gary Payton's not necessarily a, a big name compared to like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, but he did help them win that championship last year. So that's honestly a very good move by the Golden State Warriors to bring him back because he was he was playing for the Portland Trail Blazers. I think that's a win for the Warriors. Yeah, it is because you got to think he already has chemistry with the team. He knows the system with Curry out. It's just another scoring option off the bench. Not the best player, but I mean he's solid coming off the bench. Yeah, no, especially I, with Curry out. I agree. I agree. Now you may or may not agree with me on this. For the winners and losers of the entire trade deadline, I think you could make the case that the Lakers were possibly the winners of the entire trade deadline. You get 
D'Angelo Russell in the trade from Minnesota. You get you get Russell Wilson's contract off the books, and you added Mo Bamba and I believe one other player, Jared Vanderbilt. Yeah, those are three younger players that are pretty talented. Not necessarily Delos, kind of. Uh, he's been he's shown some promise. I think he's peaked in terms of where what he's going to be as an NBA player, which is kind of unfortunate because he was the number two overall pick when he was drafted, I believe. So you would hope for a little bit more since he, you know, given his pre-draft status or given his draft status. But still, he, he's a notable name in the league. He's a quality combo guard. Mo Bamba hasn't proven anything yet. Just solely potential, but a guy that's, what seven foot tall and can move like he can and has the athleticism that he does and is a shot blocker. Yeah. The Lakers and anybody in the NBA could use that if he's used correctly. Yeah. It might just be just a, you know, new system, new teammates. Sometimes players just need a fresh start. And it does not hurt getting to be teammates with Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Exactly. You're only going to learn. Now, Jared Vanderbilt, I don't know much about. No, what is he? He's a four. Yeah. So more front court depth. I mentioned that I really like their front court where it's at right now. But I mean, why not add another piece? I think the only question is with their whole offs or the trade deadline. Is it too late? Because they have some ground to make up. Now, yeah, we we didn't mention them in the playoff standings. They are now 28-32, and 4-6 and six in their last 10 games. But they are only a few spots back from the playing tournament. If they make the, I think they have a very, very good chance of making the playing tournament. And if I'm one of those teams in the playing tournament, I don't think I want to see a fully healthy Lakers squad. Not at all. Because if you think about the Pelicans, I don't think the Pelicans have the front court to match the Lakers front court. Backcourt, I, I think the Pelicans have a slight edge. The Timberwolves, Timberwolves could technically match them in the front court. Depends if Cat and Rudy Gobert are on the court together. But I think that the Lakers, right now, at least on paper, are potentially better than the Timberwolves. The Warriors, I think the Warriors could beat the Lakers still. Utah Jazz. Utah Jazz may give them a run for their money. Yeah, they're sneaky good. But the Lakers could still make the playing tournament. How they would fare against the, the Jazz, the Warriors, like I mentioned, I don't know. I, I think that if they're a team that can get hot and get into that position, though, I don't think you would want to play them. Now, there was a kind of a sneaky one. I, I'm, it's not really headline news. And it's not really a win or loss, I, I don't think. But I was happy to see it. It's for a new situation for this young man. Now, I shouldn't really say young man. I think I'm the same age as him. <laughs> but Devontae Graham, man, gets dealt to the Spurs. I like it. First game, what, he scored over 30? Yep. So there was something kind of cool. Pelicans received Josh Richardson, which some people value Josh Richardson. Not exactly sure why. I mean, he's a decent guard. I think uh, 
I don't know. He's not necessarily known for his defense, but I mean, he's athletic enough that he can play defense. He's a slasher. Kind of, I guess it's a win-win for both teams. I mean, he's in the league for a reason, but I don't feel like he changes too much. Now, this one, it kind of is a sneaky move. Again, not necessarily a head, like notable name, headline, blockbuster trade, but the three-team trade between the Clippers, Grizzlies, and Rockets. The Grizzlies were able to come out of that trade with Luke Kennard. They've been struggling. I think it's a good trade for them because he adds, obviously, scoring, shooting. He can get a bucket once he gets hot. He's shown that when he's been in the lineup with the Clippers, when Kawhi and Katie, or when Kawhi and Paul George haven't been in the lineup, he's been a guy that's been able to score for them. I think that's one move that we could potentially say, you know, that could be a difference maker for the Grizzlies in the playoffs. Stretches the floor. Has there, player. has there been any that caught your eye? Besides the ones that I've mentioned? No, the only thing that really caught my eye was that Russ still isn't on a team. I mean, I know that's not like a signing or anything, but I thought that was kind of weird. Did the Jazz buy him out yet? Yeah. They did? Yeah, he's a free agent. I did see Paul George was trying to recruit him. Yeah, I saw that. They need a point guard now. They got rid of John Wall. And they got rid of Reggie Jackson. Surprising. Yeah, I saw that. That, that was weird. It was very weird. One trade that I was pretty surprised to see, the Warriors dealt James Wiseman. Yeah. What, a uh, number two overall pick a few years ago? That one, like I mentioned, that was surprising. It didn't make sense to me at the time. Just given that outside of Kevon Looney, they don't have a big man, like a legitimate big man, the traditional big man. I thought he played well when he was healthy and would get the minutes. But, for I mean, there's some, obviously they know more than I do when they moved him, but you think you'd try and keep him with that roster getting older? And, like, with, is Draymond going to be gone soon? Like, we don't know. I agree. You think you'd want to keep him a young dude like that? Freaky athletic, always plays defense, gets boards. I agree, man. That was a part of their young core now as they move forward into like the next phase of their their franchise because, yeah, you'd have Jordan Poole leading the way. You have Wiseman. You would have had Kaminga and then Moody. That's your, you know, your core forward moving forward. The next group of guys up after Clay, Steph, and Draymond retire or move yeah. on. I thought that was surprising. I think. In that trade, the Hawks got Sadiq Bay. Mm-hmm. I think that was a good move for them. So, out of some of these moves, who do you who would you say has kind of won the trade deadline? And who kind of lost? I say that was kind of an, an L for the Warriors giving up Wiseman. I think the I think the Nets probably won when you look at their young core and all the draft picks and everything they have moving forward. I don't know how it's going to work if they're going to be able to get free agents there with all the drama between Kyrie and their GM or owner, whatever he is. Are people going to want to play for that dude with that team? I don't know. But when you just look at picks and the young core they already have, I mean, I don't know. Maybe them. I just feel like the Lakers, I feel like it's too late. They have, what, 24 games left? I don't know. 
if they have to play the Nuggets the first round, that's an L. Like that, that Nuggets team is too deep. We have we have talked about it though. I think we said it in episode forty. If they did play the Pelican or not the Pelicans, if they did play the Grizzlies though, round one, you may like your chances a little bit better against them. For sure. One that I didn't mention. We kind of talked about them a little bit in this episode, actually, but when I didn't mention mention during the trade deadline, Utah Jazz. I talked to you about it on Twitter. They're kind of turning into the Oklahoma City Thunder. Yeah. As far as Danny Ainge acquiring all those draft picks once again. Yeah, they're loading up. We've seen him do it with the Celtics, and now he's doing it with the Utah Jazz. You may not see the the immediate success you know get from all these trades but the potential future that utah could have they have some nice pieces right now pair that with some young top prospects or if you choose to trade those top prospects get some key starters you're looking at a pretty good utah jazz team in the future possibly yeah they could make moves if they can attract free agents to utah I mean, they have the resources to do it if they can get somebody. Now that I don't know. They've never really landed any key free agents. No, that's what I'm saying, but they have the resources for it, but can you get someone who wants to live in Utah? Yeah, that one I don't know. That's still uh, yet, to be de- yet to be determined. Or still to be determined. So before we wrap up the NBA segment, as I mentioned, we have our all-star preview. So last week, I thought we were going to have the, all the competitions with the participants. We unfortunately didn't have it last week, but we do have it this week. So we have the slam dunk con- com- competitors, we have the three-point shootout competitors, and we have the, the team uh, competition as well, as I mentioned. Ryan, do you have those for us? I have the three-point participants. Who you want to go ahead and tell us? Yeah. So Jason Tatum. I don't know how to pronounce the name. Kevin Huter? Yeah, Kevin Huter. Is that how you say it? Tyler Hero, Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Hill, Damian Lillard. I don't know how to pronounce his first name. Simons from Portland. Anthony. Yeah, and Laurie Markinen. If you had to pick a dark horse out of that group of eight, who are you taking? Tyler Hero. I don't know. That dude's just goofy. I like his confidence. He's goofy. I like it. It's uh, difficult. <laughs> There's some good shooters in that group. I'm yeah, surprised the guy from Brooklyn didn't make it. I know. You know who I'm talking about? Yeah. I saw that on Twitter, too. He was one of the leading three-point percentage shooters, I believe. Yeah, and then Contavious Caldwell Pope shooting like 45%. And he didn't make it either, or get invited, however that works. That's I, kind of surprising. I thought it was also weird. There was two players from Indiana, and then two players from the Trailblazers. I thought that was kind of weird. That only, so what usually happens, I mean, whenever there's been Steph and Clay, mm-hmm. it's like one set of teammates. But two, yeah, that's two sets of teammates is a little weird. And I don't really know Anthony Simons as a sh- three-point shooter like that. I didn't think he was. Buddy Heald and Tyrese Halliburton. I didn't really know him as a three-point shooter like that either. Buddy Heald, I can understand. So you're going 
Tyler Hero with this. Okay. Okay. My Dark Horse. Because I feel like the obvious ones are probably Buddy Healed and Kevin Huter. Because Kevin Huter, that's what, he, that's what he's known for. That's his whole game. That's what he was known for when he was with Atlanta and now, of course, with Sacramento. My Dark Horse, though. Probably go with Dame Dalla. I would say Tatum, but I don't know if you can really call him a dark horse. Yeah, it's kind of a weird lineup. And you know what's funny? I don't I'm not sure what Jason Tatum's three point percentage is. I don't think it's like league leading or even amongst that group. I believe he was the lowest percentage out of all of them and Buddy Hield was the highest. That's what I was thinking too, because I'm pretty sure he was shooting might have even been I'm gonna take a look here. Might have even been in the low thirties. Oh, never mind. He's shooting 35% or 36%. So not bad. Still, I feel like at least for the three-point shootout, you want to have guys in the, you know, the 38 to 40 range. Yeah. Like having Larry Markinen in there? I thought that was kind of weird. But what's his percentage? Like, I know he can shoot, but... I don't know. I th- I just think Contavious Caldwell Pope would be a better option than that. I agree with you there. I agree with you there. Now that I said something, he'll probably win it and make me look stupid. But <laughs> it's just one of those. Never know. So, as I mentioned, there's the skills challenge that they've now made into the team challenge and the skills challenge are the same thing. Sorry if I confused you all. They implemented this last year. So, they have a group of, they have three teams. And last year, they had the Onset to Kumpo brothers, which they actually won last year, I believe. So now they have the, they have them back. And then they have the city-themed team. So last year was Cleveland. This year, Utah, you have Jordan Clarkson, Walker Kessler, and Colin Sexton. And then you have the team rookie. So this year, you have Paulo Bencaro, Jaden Ivey, and Jabari Smith, Jr., do you think, Ryan, that Team Antetokounmpo repeats? No, I'm going with Utah. Team Utah? Yeah. I don't know much about the Walker Kessler guy, though. No, not really. I don't. I've, I've been so worried about playoffs and stuff, you know? Understandable. And college basketball, it's just... But now with football over, it's going to be more NBA-focused. I have to disagree with you, though, on Team Utah. Because if it's actually like shoot, I know there's some shooting involved in it a little bit. I think Jordan Clarkson is a good shooter. I think he's a guy that needs to get in rhythm, though. I don't think he's a guy that, you know, can just walk up into like a three-point shootout. He's streaky. Yeah, he's, he, he's a streaky shooter. That's what I mean. But you got everybody there watching, all your teammates, all the NBA legends. He's going to be hyped up. I kind of want to go team rookie. That would be cool. I like Paulo Bancaro. He, he's an exciting player to watch. That's who I'm going to rock with. I got to make sure I put this in my notes so I know if I beat you or not. We'll just listen back to the episode, man. <laughs> now, the headline of the NBA All-Star Saturday festivities, the, all the events and all that, get the slam dunk contest. We mentioned at the top of the show we were not too thrilled about the, the participants. 
A few of them we mentioned last week. The competitors turned out to be, that were rumored, turned out to be confirmed. So Mac McClung, which I mentioned last week in episode 40, he's the first G League player, I believe, to ever compete in this. Kind of weird. I feel like there's other players in the NBA that should be in it, but Mac McClung, we'll see what he can do. Kenyon Martin Jr. of the Houston Rockets, I mentioned last week as well. Kind of kind of an oddball. Yeah. Jericho Sims. Does he play for the Thunder? I don't even know. That's the problem. Nobody knows. I am not familiar with who Jericho Sims is. I couldn't even tell you. And then the last one is Trey Murphy, the third of New Orleans Pelicans. I know he's a decent player. I've seen him in a few games. As far as a dunker, though, I've never really seen him as a, like an in-game dunker or done anything crazy of that nature. I just, for whatever reason, a lot of people don't want to do it, so they just kind of have to put a squad together, I guess. I'm kind of bummed out. I just realized that the guy that was rumored last week isn't in it. Shaden Sharp. He's so athletic. Yeah. And a lot of people on social media, they were hyping him up. So I'm kind of surprised the NBA didn't invite him into it, or unless he might have declined. I can't imagine that he would, though, since you know he's a younger dude and he's not competing in anything else. I'm, I'm kind of disappointed. I would think if he was in it, I would have picked him. But, I mean, we have to pick from these guys. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> Who are you going with, Ryan? I don't know. Probably Mac McClung just because he's just a nerdy-looking white dude. And he, you know, I mean, he was, like, went viral for his dunks in high school and stuff. I mean, I think his athleticism is the only reason why he's still in the league. Or, I, I mean, G League, whatever you want to call it. I mean, he's played in the NBA some. I don't know. I'm just, I don't even know if I'll watch it. I might just watch the highlights or the last round. It. I think this might be one I skip out on. I'll go Jericho Sims. I don't know anything about him. He's my dark horse. Why not? Take a flyer. Yeah. But I do, I do agree with you. I think if anyone else were to win, I think it might be Mac McClung. Based on, yeah, his high school highlights, they were, they were pretty impressive. He had some good, good slams in high school. His time at Georgetown and Texas Tech didn't go very well, though. Especially not at Texas Tech. But we're not here to discuss that. It's all right. That's the NBA segment, though. Tune in for episode 42 when we give a recap of the All-Star game. Wait, who do you have? Team Giannis or Team LeBron? Team LeBron. I'm going Team Giannis in. I'm going Team LeBron. Well, they haven't even picked the teams yet. Oh, I thought they already had. No, because remember they do it. The they're doing it the day of. Oh, are they doing the draft again? Yeah, they're doing the fantasy draft style. I'm gonna just go team team LeBron based on the fact that he's undefeated, and since they've implemented the captains. Are they keeping it the same where it's just like the pool of players, or is it East? Or I don't know. No, is, they're, it, is they're, it the same thing? Yeah, the pool of players. Do you do you miss them going back to the Eastern and Western Conference? players yeah 
I think it'd be cool sometimes, maybe like every other year or something, just to try and, I don't know. I just think it'd be kind of cool. I feel like ever since then, too, the the jersey designs have been watered down. Yeah, they have. They've been very, very generic. It'd be cool if they brought back like the older all-star jerseys. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. thousands. If, if you keep it Eastern Conference and Western Conference, they came up with some cool designs back in the day. You know, I don't know what the the developers have been up to, but it hasn't been particularly impressive. Not to say I could do better, but I mean You probably could though. I mean, I might be able to come up with something, you know. I don't know. This is the moment you've all been waiting for though. Or if you're a Chiefs fan. If you're a Kansas Cityan, stand up. We were, we popped our bottles, at, or not bottles, we popped our cans at the big top of the show. <laughs> we're excited, man. We're, it's been an exciting week, man. But just the past two weeks, at least, ever since we beat Cincinnati, I know me and Ryan, we've been on cloud nine. It's been amazing, but especially now, the Kansas City Chiefs, Super Bowl champions once again. They defeated the Philadelphia Eagles 38-35 to in a thrilling shootout in Super Bowl 57. Absolutely unbelievable. Before we get to the breakdown of the, the big game, or no, we'll start there with the big game. Ryan, you got to see a little bit of it, right? I got to watch the whole thing. You got to watch the whole thing? Okay. Yeah, That's even better. That's even better. What are some takeaways from Super Bowl 57 that you have? I know that, obviously, Patrick Mahomes, since he's been with the Chiefs, I think is when he's trailing by double digits in the playoffs. I'm sure everyone's seen the stats, but he has like a win percentage of 58. But this year, I feel like especially, we've really struggled in the second half, particularly the third quarter. But we came out and played well. I mean, when you look at the third and fourth quarter, we we just don't score as much for whatever reason. But, I mean, obviously, everybody knows how the game went and how we came back. but. I thought that was the biggest thing that I took away from it, how we didn't give up. And that's come back to bite us before. Hector's pointed that out, actually, during the AFC Championship game last year. Not this one against the Bengals, but the one year prior when we lost because we had that big lead, but then we outscored the second half. We managed to stay in the game, but we got outscored, and that happened to us a few times this season. I do agree with you. The Chiefs' resilience being down 10 when, at that point, everybody probably thought it was going to be a blowout. My takeaways, I'm going to point out some of the facts. Because a lot of people, I think they're getting, getting their facts, not, they're not getting their facts straight. They obviously want to point out the, the infamous, now, the now infamous holding penalty on James Brad, Bradbury. On Juju Smith-Schuster with, what was it, a minute 58 left in the ballgame? Something like that. It was the third and eight, I want to say. Yeah. Obvious holding. I'm not saying that because I'm a Chiefs fan. I'm saying that because it was an obvious holding. Hell, the guy that even held him admitted to holding him. I don't even know how how it's a debate after that dude even admitted. Like It was very soon after the game. He was like, yeah, I did it. I thought they were going to let it slide. How's it even up for debate when he admits it? Really, I just want to, first off, I just want to silence the haters. Because really, the Chiefs could have possibly blown them out. And honestly, the Eagles could have possibly blown us out. But really, 
if you think about it, I've gotten the chance to rewatch a little bit of the game twice now. So in the first quarter, the Chiefs, it was tied 7-7. Seven to seven. Chiefs get the ball back after Philly either had a three and out, but they had a punt. Chiefs get the ball back. Harrison Bucker misses a field goal. And really, on that drive that they missed the field goal, is a third and two, right? Andy was trying to get Andy and Eric Bieniemy were trying to get too cute. They ran kind of. They were trying to go for like a shovel pass, which we've seen in some short yardage situations with Patrick Mahomes, and you know it might be Travis Kelsey, it might be one of the running backs, or it might be Mike Burton, the fullback. They might get that little shovel pass on the goal to go area. They tried to do something kind of similar. I think they tried to get it to Jarek McKinnon, but defensive line played it pretty well, and Patrick Mahomes almost got picked off. It's third and short. Was that when he rolled to the right? And yeah. Kinda, yeah, okay. And he almost fell down. Yeah. It's third and short. That's the best play you can come up with. Really, if the Chiefs get that first down, they're driving. If they get that first down, I think they score a touchdown on that drive. Which then at that point, you're up 14-7. to seven. Philly did score the next drive. But then the drive after that, we had, so it would have been a 14-14 game or potentially a 10-14 game. Next drive, Kansas City has. People people want to point out that, like, oh, that one call against Juju Smith-Schuster, you know, decided the whole game. Well, no, because then the Chiefs' third offensive drive, Chiefs were, had they didn't necessarily have a good drive going. But... What they showed the first two drives would lead you to believe that they would have put together another drive. Their defense really didn't contain our offense that well. I don't think that you could say that. I don't think that they shut the Chiefs down. You can look at the box score and say, like, oh, we hope Patrick Mahomes, you know, way under his season averages. Well, yeah, he had, what, 23 minutes of game time on the field? Yeah, he made the most of what he had. But my point is, on that on the third offensive possession for the Kansas City Chiefs, Juju Smith-Schuster was held on that play on a third and eight by, guess who? James Bradbury. Doesn't get called. Now, that's early in the game where it's not as big, given that it's not late in the game compared to, like, kind of compare the two. People will say, whoa, that happened early in the game. It doesn't matter. I mean, everything matters. Mm-hmm. That took that gave the momentum to Philly. Because at that point, if you pick up that first down, which he would have had Bradbury not held him, like I mentioned, the Chiefs, the Eagles showed no signs of really slowing the Chiefs' offense down. You had two offensive drives where you would have scored. Third offensive drive. I, would, I like our chances of potentially even just getting a field goal. On that drive, which at that point you're either looking at 17 points or 13 points, which puts you in a pretty good position. But didn't happen. And the reason why Philly was able to dominate time possession in the first half was because we had to punt off that drive, and then the next drive Philly, as I mentioned, they or they score at that point, or no, Philly gets the ball, we. Forced that turnover, the fumble. So now it's a uh, fumble recovery for a touchdown by Nick Bolton. 14-14 game. At that point, Chiefs could have had the lead at that point, if you think about it. We would have had the momentum. 
but then the defense goes back on the field, and that's how Philly maintained that time of possession because you had two short drives. Yeah, the short drive by Kansas City, and then Philly had a short drive, but then they get the ball right back. So that's why the defense was on the field a lot. Now another play that kind of sticks out to me is the Kadarius Tony kick punt return, mm-hmm. longest punt return in NFL history or Super Bowl history, sixty-five yards. Philly fans want to be upset about the holding call again. This is the la- this is the last time I'm gonna bring that part up. But if you don't want to, if you don't let Kadarius Tony run sixty-five yards. You know, you don't have to worry about that holding call. I just keep hearing we we just needed more time. You can't make that call then. Well, maybe if you wouldn't have ran the clock, the play clock down to under five on almost every single play, getting delay of games. How many of those did they get? Two or three? Like, you didn't have enough time at the end because you chose to try and keep the ball out of Mahomes' hands. That's what you did. You got beat by your own strategy. And they, it's just cheesy. So as I mentioned, I'm not going to talk anymore about that. I've mentioned some of the things that stood out, some of the momentum swings for both teams. Those were, I think those plays were some key plays that I mentioned. Now we get to the facts, which this is very interesting because if you listen to episode 40, Ryan, I, I don't like to, I don't like to say I'm right too often. I'm not a braggadocious kind of guy. But you did you did say what I was I was what you were right I hate to admit it but you were the first person I text after the game although you were dead right so Spot if on. you if you listened to last week's episode and it was towards the end so you had to had to listen to the whole episode but it was towards the end of episode forty when we were talking about keys to victory and I mentioned that if we can keep the Philadelphia Eagles to under 130 yards rushing. I liked our chances a lot. Lo and behold, the Chiefs held the Eagles to 116 yards rushing, well below their season average. Really, if you think about it, the Chiefs shut their entire run game down. Outside of Jalen Hurts scrambling, or if it was a designed quarterback run, he had over 70, but Miles Sanders was shut down, Kenneth Gainwell was shut down. I don't believe Boston Scott had... I don't think he had over three carries. I can look up the box score, actually. It'll probably help a lot better. I do know that we held Miles Sanders. Miles Sanders was held to seven attempts for 16 yards. Kenneth Gainwell was held seven seven for 21. Austin Scott did rush the ball three times for eight yards. That is a damn good job by our defense. Yeah. I was surprised. Jalen Hurts rushed for 70. And really, he only had a few big runs. One was for 28 yards on that quarterback draw. If you take that away, he really didn't have a big game running. And the touchdowns, he had three rushing touchdowns, but they were all at the goal line, basically. So it wasn't something super impressive. Now, the other fact I want to st- point out, if, again, if you, if you listen to episode 40, I mentioned in the 2021 meeting of the Chiefs and Philadelphia Eagles, Kansas City outrushed them. 
And we ran for 200 yards in that game. And Philly ran for, I think, just over 100. Same story. We didn't rush for 200 yards, but who would have thought the Kansas City Chiefs would outrun the Philadelphia Eagles in the Super Bowl? The number one rushing offense got outran by a team that's pass heavy. The Chiefs finished the game with 158 yards rushing. Isaiah Pacheco was our leading rusher. Patrick Mahomes had 44 yards on the ground. And even Jarek McKinnon, you know, he contributed on four attempts for 24 yards. Or four attempts for 34 yards, sorry. Didn't wear my glass. That is very interesting to me. And that's something that people have not pointed out at all. Because all the pregame hype, think about all you heard for the past two weeks. Philly was going to do what against Kansas City's defense? Blow us out of the water. Yeah, that too, but run the ball down our throat. That's what they're known to do. That's, everyone was saying that's what they were going to do. If you, made, if you turn Jalen Hurts into a passer, which we did, and a lot of people would say that he outplayed Patrick Mahomes. If you go back and watch the game, Jalen Hurts, his longest throws were of, he had three long throws. Two of them were 45-yard passes. One to Devontae Smith and one to A.J. Brown. You take those two big plays out of the equation, which really they were kind of broken plays because one was the first touchdown pass. It was the only touchdown pass Jalen Hurts threw to A.J. Brown. He basically threw in a double coverage in a way because Trent McDuffie was right there. He just got turned around. Yeah. Rookie mistake, but he was right there with A.J. Brown. Juan Thornhill was in the vicinity. He didn't play it well enough. He should have been over the top. Potentially either picked off or it's in a complete pass. You take that 45-yard pass out of the equation because Jalen Hurts threw for over 300. Take that out of the equation. Significantly drops. The other pass, 45-yard pass to Devontae Devontae Smith, sorry, on the left side, wide open. The Jerry Snee got lost in coverage. That dude, I think it was either miscommunication with him and the safety. It was either that or he just kind of lost him. He didn't turn around. So obviously Devontae Smith was wide open on that. Another big play. You take that out of the equation. Jalen Hurts really had, you know, an average game passing. He did, he did it, though. He did it. Don't get me wrong. He did it. You can't take it back. You can't take it, like, pick and choose. But you take those two big passing plays out, what else did he do? Just a bunch of quick RPO throws, quick slants, quick swing routes, quick flats. They threw a few nice balls to Dallas Goddard. I will give them that. But to say Jalen Hurts just outplayed Patrick Mahomes, no, 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 no. He had the ball longer than Patrick Mahomes, and he had two big plays in the game. That that was it. That's all I could say. Now Patrick Mahomes, if you're in, if you even want to point out Jalen Hurts outplayed him, Patrick Mahomes, as I mentioned, thirty-one points in under twenty-five minutes of game play. It wasn't just Patrick Mahomes, but it was it was the offense as a whole. Patrick Mahomes helped lead them to that. Three touchdown passes, 182 yards passing. Just think if he actually had the ball for over 30 minutes of game time. Had that holding call been called on James Bradbury again in the first half, 
and we get to uh, continue that drive. Had Eric BME not called that weak play on third and two when we settle for a field goal, if he gets to continue that drive. Those are two drives right there. Or even if Nick Bolden doesn't get a fumble recovery for a touchdown. You know, that's that's three drives Patrick Mahomes easily could have thrown for over 300 yards. And the offense, too. We ran the ball well, as I mentioned. Isaiah Pacheco could have had over 100 yards rushing. Yeah, sure. And one last thing I do want to say. I, I, I said I wasn't going to bring it up again, but I just remembered something. The refs were on our side. We had a fumble recovery for a touchdown taken back. Nick Bolton potentially could have been the Super Bowl MVP over Patrick Mahomes with two fumble recoveries for a touchdown. Yeah. I would have given him it because he was the leading tackler. I believe he had nine tackles. Yeah, I wouldn't have been mad about it. Those are some takeaways from the game. It was it was exciting. People can say what they want. It it was one of the greatest Super Bowls ever. You get to see another miraculous comeback by the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes. You know, he's he's a stone-cold killer, man. You can never count the Chiefs out with him back at quarterback. It's it's just unbelievable what he's capable of doing, what that offense is capable of doing, what the coaching staff is capable of doing. So those were some takeaways. Those were kind of drawn out. I do apologize. I had to get some things off my chest. Now, as I mentioned last week, there's the things that come along with the Super Bowl. What what were some of your favorite commercials, Ryan? It, some that stood out to you. The flag football one. The flag football one. I think that was probably one of the more popular ones, with uh, Deanna Flores. Yeah, that one was pretty funny. Everyone was trying to grab her flag. They could not. Even her mom. Yeah, even her mom at the very end of the commercial. I thought that was really cool. Some some of the ones that stood out to me, I'd say E Trade, if you remember that one. Yeah. Ben Stiller in the Pepsi commercial. Will Ferrell in the GMC zombie one. That one was pretty funny. I'd say the Pringles one where the dude <laughs> got his hand stuck. He was like, oh, we've all been there. Oh, I have. And then it was the baby in the womb. He had the Pringles can. I'd say the farmer's dog. That one, that one was more of a heartfelt one. It wasn't necessarily funny, but it was one that warmed your, warmed your soul, warmed your heart. I'd say the Bud Light Hold Call. That one was a funny one. John Travolta and T Mobile. He's channeling his inner grease. Oh, that was going back to his singing days. <laughs> the Tubi one. The Tubi one had to have been probably up there with the flag football one. It was cool too. I think everyone across the world thought their TV was broken or someone stole the remote. That one was pretty hilarious. Those were some of the ones that stood out to me. Were there any others that stood out to you? Nah, I just liked the flag football one because I, I didn't know what to expect. It was just kind of funny. Okay, okay. Now we get into the moment that some of you have been waiting for. If you're a, a halftime show kind of person. Now, Ryan, you want to give us your quick thoughts on Rihanna's halftime show? Garbage. Garbage. Is she talented? Yes. Does she have. I mean, she has some hits, but she didn't really do anything. She just kind of like stood there, rocked back and forth. And I don't want to see a pregnant lady twerking. I'm sorry, but that's awkward. I, that's just, I didn't like it. 
but I know I know that's some people swear it's the best, but I mean, obviously the songs are cool. Like everything else was cool. It was just she didn't do a whole lot. That's just all I'm saying. From an actual performance standpoint. Yeah. I hear that. She, I think it was good. Do I think it was great? Not necessarily. I don't think it's up there as like one of the greatest Super Bowl halftime shows ever. But it was one of the most viewed ever. And actually, I viewed the game as a whole. So the Super Bowl drew, I think, 116 million viewers. Rihanna's halftime show alone drew 118 million, almost 119 million. And some things that kind of came with it. There's some interesting tidbits about her performance. There was 80 dancers, 800 people total involved. The carts that were on the ground were, there was 15 of them. They weighed two to 4,000 pounds. There were seven suspended platforms, which was really cool. I think that was, I think the stage layout was one of the coolest parts about her performance. And it's funny, people were talking about the seven platforms. There's been memes now made. Do you remember Super Smash Bros? Yeah. Some of the, think about some of the maps on there where they have like platforms like that. And they show like Donkey Kong on one and the the health bar, the damage things. And they show Rihanna fighting against them. Damn. It was pretty funny. And then there was over 3,500 platform lights. Those are just some interesting little tidbits that I saw on Twitter. I, I, think, I think a lot of people liked it. I think it received a lot of hype because she'd been gone from the music industry for so long. And she, she knows how to draw a crowd. After the performance, she was the number one stream artist globally. As I mentioned, she received 118.7 million viewers. 17 songs are now in the top 40 on Spotify after the performance, and she gained 3 million Instagram followers. And searches for her Fenty Beauty brand went up 833%. Dang. I think people forget that she is honestly bigger than music at this point in her career because she's almost... I think she either is almost considered a billionaire or she is considered a billionaire. It's up there, though. Yeah, I mean, I'm not taking anything away from her. She's obviously very talented. I just feel like the... I, I normally don't get into it, but after we talked about it last episode, I feel like I had to at least give it a shot. And it was just kind of underwhelming like, compared to some of the other ones. I mean, I, granted, I was also really sad at the time. Things weren't looking good. That might contribute to it a little bit, but you're just like, I want to get back to the game. I want to see this. I was like, man, I gotta go to work after this. Oh, I can see that. I was down bad. I can see that. I don't blame you. I don't blame you for that. So some other cool things that came about the Super Bowl after the Chiefs won third Super Bowl in franchise history. Hats off to Andy Reid, man. I have some interesting tidbits about him. He now has 247 wins in the NFL, fifth most all-time, 23 playoff wins, second most all-time to Bill Belichick, 10 conference title games, four Super Bowl appearances, two Super Bowl wins. Obvious Hall of Fame candidate. 
once that time comes. We hope Big Red still has a lot left in the tank, though. I think Patrick Mahomes in that offense, they keep him energized. They keep him youth, youthful. You know what I mean? I think they, they, they keep that fire lit in him to make him want to go back to work. And another hat off to Chad Henney, man. My dude. Rode off into the sunset. Got his second Super Bowl ring. Said, I'm good, man. Made his money. I believe he made over $40 million in his NFL career. Yeah, you're right. Again. Thank you. Appreciate that, sir. How cool is that, though? He's really cool. He, he needs his flowers, man. Because without him, some of these playoff runs, they wouldn't have been possible. If he wouldn't have came in against the Browns or if we had a different quarterback, we might not have made the first Super Bowl. If it wasn't for that drive against the Bengals. Like, I know Pacheco ran the ball really well, but you can't do it without a quarterback. He stepped in. I mean, he, he's done what he needed to do. You know, he, he wasn't going to be an uh, improviser that Patrick Mahomes is. He'll stick straight to the game plan, be a pocket passer. He'll do what he needs to do. They'll take the, what the defense gives him, get the ball to, you know, whoever's open and doesn't make a ton of mistakes. It, the times he has been in, though, I've seen him get picked off and he made some pretty bad passes. It's, it's something. I remember the game against the Chargers, I want to say, is in 2000, the 2020 season. It was the last game of the year. We already had the number one seed locked up and he, he didn't really play that well. That was only his only, you know, glaring blemish in his Chiefs career. But other than that, two-time champ, man, hats off to him. And then to kind of end this NFL segment, sadly, it, it won't be the last NFL segment for a while because we have the draft right around the corner. And we're not going to talk draft for a little bit. I think next episode we'll kind of give you guys a breakdown of what are some of the biggest question marks for the Chiefs heading into the offseason now. But I got to talk parade, man. Do it. Second Super Bowl parade in four years. Really three years if you're counting, like, calendar-wise, because the first one was in 2020. And, you know, now this one, of course, in 2023. It It was cool, man. I even got to be closer to the stage this time. Got to see the players. I saw Nick Wright. Yeah, I saw that Snapchat. That was the coolest thing ever. He was there. You know, it's funny. One of my my oldest brother, my oldest brother Dominic, he's a big Philly fan. So obviously he was not happy with the outcome. He he doesn't like Nick Wright at all, though. It's pretty funny. But I saw him there. Eric Stone Street was there for Modern Family. I got to see him. I didn't, I mean, I got to see him. I say that loosely. He was on stage, you know, with, I think, Fox 4 News or so. But it was awesome, man. The environment. Just sitting there, taking it all in, looking thousands of people, man. Hundreds of thousands of people. And you're just like, wow. This is, this is unreal. Like, this doesn't seem, doesn't seem real. It still hasn't really set in yet. We talked about on episode 40 that just, Going that long without a Super Bowl and really any playoff success, you never thought the Chiefs would be in this position. Never. The players are still fired up, though, man. I think you, if you're a player, and I was telling my fiance, you know, some of the guys that are probably new to the team or won a part of that first Super Bowl, 
if you're familiar with the parade and how it works out in the downtown area, once you turn the corner passing like Crown Center and you're getting ready to turn and you're starting to see Liberty Memorial and Union Station and you just turn that corner and you see nothing but red. A giant wave of red. That has to fire you up. And that has to make you... that Something probably in the back of your mind is telling you like, man, I want to see this again. It does for me. For sure. I know it does for me. Like, I can only imagine what those guys are thinking. Like, I never... I, I want to do this every single year. You know, I would... If I'm a player, I'm like, I want to give this city this. I want to do it for myself, of course, but I want to give this city this. I want to see this every single year. That's why I don't think Andy Reid's going to retire. I think that's what keeps Travis Kelsey hungry because he's getting up there in age a little bit. I think he's, he'll be 33 this year. You know, how much longer he has left in him. He did say in the press conference after the Super Bowl that, you know, he doesn't know how much, how many, how much time he has left. I think, I think he still has a lot left in the tank. Just given how much the game has changed and you know how versatile tight ends are nowadays, I think he can still have a long career, especially with our you know the offensive staff implementing more thirteen personnel, which is three tight end sets, and you have guys like Noah Gray or Jody Fortson or Blake Bell that can step in and you know give him a blow so that way you're saving his leg. I think that can help him keep a long career in Kansas City. I think these guys, Patrick Mahomes said it best, they're not done. People want to call it a, a dynasty right now, but it's just getting started. Yeah, like what he said, we're not finished. Yeah. It is a lot to be excited about if you're a Chiefs fan going forward. I think we could potentially see more of these Super Bowl parades. For sure. I hope so, at least. It's going to be fun, man. It's going to be fun. Super Bowl 54, Super Bowl 57 champions. What can you say? I think that's a good ending point. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Hope you guys all enjoyed episode 41. Tune back in for episode 42. Hope you all had a good time at the parade if you're listening. Hope you all are safe. See you guys then.